Welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Megan. And I'm Deidre. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good, but you seemed a little confused as to what you were supposed to say next or what your name was maybe. <laughs> no, we decided last week we're going back to this and I'm totally cool with that. Totally fine. <laughs> Very chill with this. I mean, I can introduce both of us every time. Like, hey, this is Megan and Deidre, but then people might not remember whose voice is whose. Yeah, I think that's also. I don't always know whose voice is whose, so <laughs> it's helpful. Uh, I listen to our uh, podcast about the words of the year and still do not love it when we both talk at the same time and it cancels each other out. We've got to fix this problem um, because there were multiple times where we both, I know, I remember what we were both saying and you couldn't hear anything. It just kind of like, <sighs> it like voids it on Zoom, but We'll figure that out sometime if we can afford a that's, better platform. I was going to say, that's a Zoom problem. That's yeah. like a platform problem. Yeah. There was one point, I don't remember which episode it was, but you went into like, your, your voice got so high that the sound actually cut out. And I remember going back and listening to that one and I would still laugh because I was like, oh, it cut out in real life. But also when I like in the recording, you cannot hear what you're saying because you went to like the supersonic high pitch, like you were mimicking something you weren't just like excited oh. and got to that point well that's good I hate to hear when my <laughs> voice is just shrill and annoying <laughs> that's not hey. a core issue for me at all <laughs> hey Enneagram one no one on this side of the computer said shrill and annoying I said high-pitched and excited <laughs> you said supersonic that's right <laughs> <laughs> okay well that kind of hits a spot for me because that is some work I've had to do with how my voice comes across to people um, so today we are going to kind of get back to some IFS stuff and it's been a bit since we've really talked about it on the podcast, um, uh, before Christmas, we did some Enneagram subtypes and all of that. Um, but man, last year was so transformative for me because of being introduced to the internal family systems model. Um, just all, all of those guests we had in the spring, you just knocked it out of the park, bringing that information home because I'm like all over it. Like, I just feel like I'm starting this year with more hope with the tools that I have, you know, that it can be different because Mm -hmm. it's not, obviously I've had a lot of growth in my life through other things and the word of the Lord is always transformative. And so there's lots of ways that every year I can look back and see growth, but there, there was always like these core things, right. That just still came in. It was the baggage that we still carried into the new day, into the new year, into the new things. And I just feel so hopeful that that baggage doesn't have to be as heavy as it was because it's already lighter. And that I can continue to shed some of that as I continue this work of reintegrating um, some of those parts that were wounded and took on roles that, you know, I assigned to them to protect me. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm excited about going into 2023 already having this information. Well, I hope you stay excited because I just had a friend tell me the other day that I needed to research Enneagram types and attachment theory. And so that might be the next thing that I tackle and start looking through. And you, in your classes, I'm guessing you're learning attachment theory stuff too. Yeah. So, but I've, she sent me some podcasts that actually talk about Enneagram and attachment theory. So I'm excited to kind of dig in. That's good. I, I have even listened to some things not specifically related to an Enneagram type, but just this last year and some of my podcasts I've been listening to or mm-hmm. just books I've been reading. Um, and it, attachment theory is cool because you, well, it's going to play into all of this because it still impacts how, the story we tell ourselves about ourselves and the story we tell ourselves about our place in the world, you know, in relationships right. and things like that. Um, 
I think that's kind of what I want to talk about today a little bit anyway, not necessarily attachment, but the stories we tell ourselves. Like this is the bread and butter of why we started Dauntless Grace anyway. Before we knew Enneagram, before we knew IFS, we talked a lot about the internal narratives that play out because of wounds and self-protection and all of those things. Um, We didn't have all this language to attach to it, but that was kind of where the whole story began was our life is a story that we're scripting to avoid pain, right? Mm -hmm. But it also in turn avoids connection, joy, love, compassion, empathy, you know, all of these other beautiful parts of life that get cut off because we're so focused on avoiding pain. Um, Ooh, I kind of want you to preach a little bit that what you used to do at Dauntless Grace conferences where you would talk about how Adam, when he, when the fall happened and all of a sudden Adam, who was fully integrated in himself, fully connected to the father, kind of lost that connection. All of a sudden you always did this visual where your head kind of went down and you were like, he had this, this task that he was now I'm preaching it for you, but he had this task, this outer journey that he had to do, which was to subdue the earth and to name the animals and all of these things. But when the disintegration happened and his head went down, all of a sudden, all he could do was try to fix what was going on inside. And that's where the fig leaves come into play. Go off that a little bit. And if I didn't already preach that whole thing for you, just you did, a good, you did a good job. <laughs> a plus. Yeah. Like you haven't heard that about a hundred times. Um, and we have talked about it on the podcast before, but I think it's just a good reminder kind of at the beginning of a new year, we have all set some kind of intention for the year. I know there's some haters on the words of the year. There's haters on resolutions, all of that. But the truth is we turn the counter and we do have a sense of a renewed purpose for something. Right. Um, and we so quickly disintegrate with our head out of that purpose. What, let's just take the typical one to lose weight, right? Everybody's in the gym on January 1st, but January 15th, a lot fewer people there by February 15th, even fewer. But did our intention change? No, like we, we all want to lose weight. We all want to get healthy, right? But it's like that outer focus gets sidelined and sidetracked by this inner disintegration and these internal battles that we're facing. And so the thing that wins out is, is the thing that's compelling us from the internally outward, right? You know, it, it, the goal out there to accomplish this thing is never as seductive as the thing that's in us that we feel we have to have for our survival, like for security, belonging, those things that are so intrinsic in us. Um, and shame is such a disintegrating factor and it works in the darkness when we can't see it and it, and it's like a virus that just spreads its tentacles everywhere. Um, I love how Kurt Thompson talks about that in the soul of shame. He, he doesn't use the word like sin or shame as an adjective. Like maybe we would, um, you know, to feel, wait, a noun, I guess, like to feel shame, like an emotion. He doesn't use it like that. He uses it as like the destructive nature of sin is the shame that infected us that disintegrates and breaks down and breaks apart. And, um, that is the thing that's at work within us that we're not even aware of that destroys that outer task that we're looking to do. And again, I'm just using losing weight because that's a really easy, you know, New Year's resolution to poke fun of. But the truth is we don't just wake up one day and go, I don't want to lose weight that, or I don't want to <laughs> get healthy or stronger. That's never like the actual decision. It's an internal narrative that's rolling about a lot of other things that have nothing to do with the exercise. Um, so you and I've been, you know, even doing some of that work, uh, for the last couple months talking about 
our narrative around our body image and um, even our relationship with food and movement and things like that. Um, and it's important because someone could put us on a plan to be like, go exercise and do this and then eat these things at this proportion time and blah, blah, blah. And it would work for a little while until we have to have the internal motivation to keep it going. And then that internal warfare actually is the one that wins out over the task that we've assigned. So all of that to say, yes, like, so God created Adam with a specific pur purpose to partner with God, the creator of the universe to unlock the potential of the earth, like this beautiful, beautiful plan. And as soon as sin entered, Adam's focus became so centrally focused internally to figure out what had shifted and now what he needed to do to cover the shame, to hide from it being exposed. And what does he need to do to secure his own whatever he's missing, right? Everything that he had within the context of the whole relationship with the Lord is now gone, stripped away. So um, that I think that has just infected us as a people group since then. We're just born into it. We're born into the shame. Um, so I want to shift that conversation just a little bit because you and I were talking about hearing Father Richard Rohr talk about the cult of innocence. And mm -hmm. I think this plays into this really well. You had some thoughts on that. <laughs> Good segue. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on it. I was just trying to let you talk for a minute. <laughs> yeah, uh, he, we, well, we heard him talk on the Brene Brown podcast. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the, yeah, he described just how the church has kind of, the you know, the church has a mission to serve the world, right? To to bring people back into connection with the father. Like that's, if that's the church's mission, then at some point the church has stopped doing that a little bit because um, especially in like Western culture, we have such a, he called it a cult of innocence. And he said that rather than going on mission for people, what we've instead started to do is to what, what will make us right. What, what will make us look good? What makes us look innocent so that our own salvation is secure so that our own safety, security, comfort, belonging, whatever it is, is secure. And it's like, what makes us look innocent here before the Lord, instead of what can we do to reach out to others? So it's what you're talking about. It's where the external journey became overshadowed by the internal journey of trying to just fix ourselves, but doing it in a way that's not really connecting back to the Lord. It's our own self-protection. I'm putting my own words. He didn't really say all that, but that yeah. is kind of the cult of innocence that he was talking about. And it was just really fascinating to hear him say it from that perspective, because it's what you and I have talked about for a long time. I think he even knew when he was talking about how Christians like want to prove their rightness or goodness or whatever, that he says it's partially because we've not translated the word repent. Well, because like even the word repent, it's not a good translation it should be change. We should be changed from the inside out. And, right. and when we are, the power of Christ then compels us to do this work that he's called us to do. So this is a means to that end. I think some people get kind of hung up on like, don't, don't, you know, look internally and do self-help stuff. That's not what this is about. Yeah. But if you don't look internally, you're bypassing some important work that will actually be the catalyst that enables you to bring heaven to earth, to be an agent of change, to be an agent of hope and healing and light. Um, shame isn't, it hides in the darkness. We have so many darkly lit parts of our own soul because we're afraid to look at it. We're, we're covering it up. Um, yeah. Yeah. Get into a little bit of what he talks about with the ego and the shadow self. I think it's so such a cool way to say it. 
he said that we as Christians aren't, we don't attack our ego selves because we're spending so much time trying to hide our shadow selves. Yeah. And you really have to kind of understand what he's talking about with those terms. So I think ego, just in basic psychological terms, I think that's the part of ourselves that we're putting out there for people, right? It's kind of like the personality. It's, it's, it's like that the narrative we've constructed to show about them. who we Right. About, and even to show ourselves, it's about yeah. who, who we are to ourselves, who we are to other people. So it's like what we're putting out there and we don't spend a lot of time dismantling that almost false self that we're putting out there because we're aware that we have the shadow self that is bad. And so we spend all this time hiding that from the world to protect our innocence that we don't actually spend the time dismantling the narrative we're putting out there. That's not who we really authentically are. And so I was looking at the shadow self. I, I remember um, Christopher Hurowitz talks about that a lot in the sacred Enneagram. Yeah. So I went back to look and to see what he said. And he basically calls the shadow self are those the passions of each type or the sin of each type, which are kind of the opposite of where our calling is. So I, we've done passion work here before those sins where we've talked about like for ones, it's anger, resentment, or for fours, it's envy. And, you know, we can go through the list of that, but that's the shadow part of ourselves that we kind of know exists. And we spend a lot of time hiding that, not even necessarily healing it, but hiding those parts of ourselves yeah. that we never really get to doing the, the, the big work of, but what is the narrative you're telling yourself about yourself and you're telling other people. And you said something important there. You said he ties it to the gift or the redemptive purpose of you know if if we could deal with the, sh the shadow cells we could actually move in the purpose of why god created me as an enneagram one and you as an enneagram right. one. what is this thing that is the unique way i'm going to partner with god in the way that adam was called to to release wholeness and justice and righteousness and healing and goodness in the earth but we right as much as we want to do that and we sing the songs about doing it and we hear the sermons about doing it and we read the words about doing it. It's, it's, it's kind of like waking up and deciding I don't want to go to the gym today. Well, right. But it's not because <laughs> I decided I don't want to lose weight. Well, we, of course we all want to love and we all want to bring healing and we all as Christians, especially, but yeah, humanity in general, like, I don't know that anybody wakes up and like, I'm going to make the world a worse place today. You know, <laughs> like that's just not our goal, but we end up being so internally self-destructive that then that destruction and disintegration and brokenness, it spills over. Can I read you this little few sentences that Christopher Heroes writes about this Please. false self or this ego? He says, this false self of ours doesn't need more help in keeping us asleep in our illusions. Again, this is where the Enneagram is an aid to waking up. One of its most helpful aspects is how it exposes nine ways our human nature manages our egos, our collection of coping addiction, uh, yeah, addictions that we have wrapped around our most intimate and deepest pain, our childhood wound. So we're all doing that. And when we have the awareness of the Enneagram and then later the healing work of IFS, we're waking up to how our ego is out there and we can start attacking our ego in a way that Father Richard Rohr says we're just numb to. Yeah. Man, I mean, that'll preach. Well, I feel like there's scripture about that. Like awake, oh sleeper, rise from the dead. Like that, there, he's talking to people because we're just, we go through life asleep to what's going on inside of us, what's going on around us, what's going on in society collectively, because yeah. it's just easier. And so he's like, I don't know. And I, I don't know if we're like, we choose it because it's easier. I think we're so unaware that it's even happening, right? Right that 
so we're making the best decisions with the information we're aware of, but a lot of times that's still really self-destructive or destructive in relationships or just in the way that we handle ourselves in the world, whether that's in business or ministry or whatever, you know, um, I'm sorry, I lost a thought, right? As you were talking, I was going to share something, but well, I just want to expand this to say like as individuals, we do this, but I think collectively we do this as well. When all of our egos combine in a group of some kind, then it's putting out an image of a group now. So families do this, or the church does this, or organizations do this, or as a country, we kind of do this and project an ego self to the rest of the world that is, that we're not dismantling. We're not dismantling that false self of whatever we are presenting in whatever like collective group we're part of. Yeah. Well, and, and the I think problem that's is, even if, even if that thing we're projecting is a, like a good thing that it like might be what part of, it's kind of like tied with our purpose. The problem is we're not really living it with wholeness or integrity because it's out there to compensate for the fact that internally we're not there yet. So it, mm-hmm. you, you have to do the work. I mean, we have to, we have to do it as a society. We have to do it as families. Cause you're right. We get into a lot of identity that's wrapped up in family dynamics that are built on a wrong foundation. Even if some of the mm-hmm. principles are good and true, you know, as they develop, but especially internally, that's the one thing we can control is our own walk. Uh, I think that Jesus is just so good to lead us through that. Um, but IFS is a tool that was so good. So the Enneagram is a great starting place. Like Christopher Her says, you know, that it's going to show you your shadow self. It's going to give you some handles on where to begin if you don't know where to begin. And then IFS really helps then as you start living this out, you're going to hit some triggers where you are terrified to look at something yeah, or it's scary to acknowledge a longing or it is like undeniable that there is something going on that's triggered, but you don't know what to do with it. And internal family systems just gives you some ways to work internally in, in a grace-filled way. So I know attacking the ego feels a little like, ah, but IFS actually does that. Like it doesn't allow the ego to stand in the way of healing. That's how it attacks it. But it's so filled with grace and compassion for the parts of ourselves who need nurturing and maturity and, um, just being held, you know? So I I don't want anyone to get scared off when we're like, attack the ego. Yes, attack the thing that is the problem instead of the things that aren't, where we get into blame shifting and, and, you know, name calling other things as the problem. That's all just taking our internal shame and throwing it out there for other things. So attack that thing that stands in the way of healing and wholeness and integration. Um, yeah, I think sometimes IFS work is really fun though. Like it's not always scary or painful or hard. Like sometimes yeah. I, I just, I just texted you this morning in my time hop. Um, I, when I used to teach middle school, this was probably a high school classroom, I guess it was about 13 years ago. Um, I was having them like brainstorm like topics for a memoir. I think we're going to do memoir writing. And so I gave them like three minutes to write down every big memory they had. And I mean, these are 15 year olds. They hadn't lived a lot of life, but every memory that stood out is this big thing. And just as write as many as you can so that we can start narrowing it down. And I always did the work with my students um, so that I could write a memoir. And so I started listing memories. And when I looked at my page afterwards, I was like, some of these are really like, they're not huge moments in my life, but they stuck with me. Like I was you know, 27 years old and writing these out and remembering the day I got in trouble in first grade for grabbing a book I wasn't supposed to be reading. And like, I actually looked at my list after, and I don't know if I said it to you 
in person or not, but I was probably like, I need to shrink to like, look at this list with me and tell me why some of these memories are so important. And over this last year that we've been doing IFS work, a lot of those same memories have surfaced. Like I've actually, I know where that memory of getting in trouble in first grade, like what part of me yeah. um, felt shame that day and, and what, you know, kind of took over, a, a, you know, a part of me to protect and make sure I didn't feel that way again and how that has manifested even as an adult. And I've gotten to go back to that little girl and talk to her. And um, I don't know, it was just funny to get that memory today of, wow, I wanted to deal with all of this, but I didn't have the tools to do it. Like I knew that some of these stuck to me for some reason and I wanted to go back to them, but I didn't, I didn't know what that looked like without professional help. And so this is not that people shouldn't go to therapy. They should, but it's, it's neat to have kind of a tool to work on ourselves a little bit on our own too. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Like therapy is so good. And and we have to start somewhere where someone else can help us start knowing where to excavate. Sorry, couldn't say that word. Um, but then this becomes tools that you can just use every day because we're just, mm-hmm. we're going to hit things on a daily basis. I don't know, sometimes 10 or 15, 20 times a day. There's parts inside of me that are always speaking up now that I'm aware of them. <laughs> and your finger goes up as soon as you said that. <laughs> uh, and instead of just telling them to be quiet, I can be like, oh, I hear, I hear that voice. I recognize it. We've already had a chat. Let's remind ourselves that... Uh, we don't have to work out of that old belief anymore. We don't have to work out of that old striving anymore. So, yeah, I it, it's so cool. So I, I want to tie the, this back to what, sorry, to what you first started this with was um, this kind of shedding some of these yeah. burdens that we've been carrying with us. And yeah. I just want to say like IFS gave us the language to understand that we're not shedding parts of ourselves because when we try to do that, we're actually disintegrating ourselves more. What we're doing is we're like, we're shedding the lies that some of those parts believed and we're unburdening belief systems. And so it's in reintegrating those parts back without the burden of wrong belief mm-hmm. that we found like where the baggage has fallen away and where we found lighter, but it's not leaving parts of ourselves behind. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, we're not we're not unburdening ourselves in a way that leaves things behind because that's still disintegration. Then there's still parts that aren't right. integrated back in. Um, I've never really liked the poem that everyone talks about. Like, I you know look back in the sand and there was only one footprint now because Jesus was carrying. Oh, but it, the picture that that is in this regard, it's like the baggage that I carry. I'm dragging around because I think that I that those things are true. It's it's the lies, yeah. like you said. It's the burden managers and, and protectors in our lives that are thinking, oh, well, this was hurt. And so this is my way of fixing it. And it's, it's all the burden of those lies in my belief system. Um, and I can't just deal with that by getting new thoughts. Yeah. It's part of it. I have to acknowledge what the old thought was and replace it with a new thought, but I have to embody that. And there is something really cool about thinking about Jesus, just literally holding those burdens and saying, let me unburden them. Cause he's so good to do that. Like he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he's like, I can take that burden that that part of you is believing. And I can get rid of that and give you a truth because I'm literally coming internally to be embodied in your body. This, the Holy spirit lives in us. And that relationship with Jesus is so close that he helps us to replace the thought at the, the memory level where it's stored in our cells, you know? And that's a whole nother conversation, but that's so cool to me. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I would, I want to watch my language. We're not leaving parts of ourselves behind. We're leaving the lies that burden us behind so that we can go in, in a reintegrated state in wholeness 
and more health internally. And it will help us to accomplish those things that we've set out to intend to do, you know, like it ultimately will, but that can't be the purpose for why we do that work necessarily. Um, or we'll s- still keep getting sidetracked by the external being thwarted by the internal war. So. All right. That'll preach. I think, I feel like this was a conversation that went back to basics, but like at a deeper level, like here's why we're doing what we're doing as we start this new year, but let's take it a deeper level to really look at some of those deeper hidden motivations and reasons. And that wraps up another episode of the Dauntless Grace Exchange. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave a review so other people can find us. You can follow us on social media to stay connected. We're on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries and our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace. For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org for coaching and training opportunities. And you can follow me at Enneagram Megan on Instagram. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast. Plus, you can click the resources tab to find books by all the authors we've spoken to or about. And you can find it at dauntlessgrace.org.